Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive writer for Bay Area News Group, and I edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My friend is Bruce Aldrich, and he is the co-host. We're now well into our third year of our podcast, 150-something episodes. And today we have on Todd Reiners. Uh, Todd, uh, through the wonderful world of the internet, uh, Tom... Todd, excuse me, um, said hello to me and we exchanged some emails and we, I don't think we've ever actually met, although we may have years ago, uh, Todd works for the Sacramento Bee, uh, and, uh, McKesson as well. And I was a sports writer for the Bee for many years. So Todd, uh, said that he used to come down to sports and watch some sporting events years ago and, and, uh, guys wondered who he was, but he was a guy on the third floor, as you put it, and we were on the second floor. But uh, Todd, uh, we're here today to talk to you about your um, vast collection of cars. You're a Sacramento guy, and we can't wait to jump in. So welcome to our podcast. Thank you, James. Thank you, Bruce. Well, it's a uh, pleasure to be on your show. Great. Thank you. Let's let's start with, um, you told me a little bit the other day about your background. Your father was a, a, a race car driver and competitor, and I'm assuming that you got involved with your dad years ago, and maybe you could start with a little background about your family's interest in, in cars. Um, we, yeah, uh, my father and my stepfather, uh, took it on as a hobby when I was young and, um, they, one of them, uh, my, my dad raised the Can-Am series, which Bruce, you might be familiar with that. Yes. Uh, this is back in the days of Andretti and uh, Peter Revson, Mark Donahue. You know, sadly, a lot of those folks aren't with us anymore. Um, but those were the golden years of racing uh, for us uh, that are old, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Good sounding loud so, uh, V8s, yes. Oh, big time. So, in uh, being around that environment, um, I was able to <clears throat> be involved for many years, and although just a kid, I um, uh, was able to have uh, build relationships or get to know many famous drivers and teams and see how, uh, uh, witness the successes of, of their uh, endeavors. So every once in a while, I run into one of the old guys and um, it's, it's kind of neat to kind of share those memories as I still run the vintage car events in a, um, it, it 1974, uh, F5000, which is very similar to a formula one. So, um, it, it was probably not intended if I, if I, I, I don't know that I'd want my son driving a race car or, being anywhere near that environment, it's so expensive. Um, somebody said you got to, if you want to win a million dollars in racing, you better come with ten. You better invest ten million. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, so that's a uh, losing game for people who don't know. That Formula Five Thousand is a single seat, open wheel car that, as you say, it looks kind of like an Indy car. Um, that's oh, right. Yeah, and uh, like a what is it, five liter or something? Five liter, uh, stock block, uh, mine's a Chevy V8. Uh, that's the block is the only thing that's stock. 
Um, I've got, um, not sure if anybody knows, uh, but Walter Wolf, um, he was a successful Can-Am and Formula One uh, uh, team owner. Anyway, I bought the heads off his car. And uh, you put a a Lucas McKay injection system on it, and you're able to generate about 600 horsepower at at off a 1200 pound car that shows you very similar to kind of like uh ford versus ferrari the same mentality back in those days if you're going to compete with these uh high dollar uh uh teams like ferrari or lotus um you know you you go to american ingenuity and you put in a ford or a chevy or dodge and then you can you can you can compete and actually go faster than the Formula One series because the two were um, intermingled back then in those days in '73 and '74. Yeah, so, that, that's a pretty good, interesting it's a, history. It's a good-looking car. I uh, saw a picture of it. And did, does your car have uh, racing pedigree? Who raced it? Do you know? It, uh, Guy Edwards back in the day. In 74, it's a European car, so obviously it, it didn't race in the States, but in uh, Mario Andretti drove the same car, uh, Al Unser. So they had series, they had a series in um, Europe, then they had um, an F5000 series here in, in the United States, and then they also had one in Australia and New Zealand. How often do you so, get to take that car out? Um... Well, probably once every two years. Uh, the name Formula Five Thousand, uh, you know, it Five Thousand being the the, the seats of the engine, um, but it also costs five thousand dollars a day to run the car. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so bet. Uh, that limits um, some of the venues. Um, you know, I got really excited. You can you can. There's a series every year in the United States and, um, they go to all the big tracks, including Indianapolis. And, uh, that car top, top end is 230 miles an hour. So it's got a much larger engine than the current Indy cars. This is a different pedigree. It's a Grand Prix car. So, you know, you might see it at Monza or, um, Monaco or, you know, the, the, twisty tracks like that but they're certainly able to um keep up with with anything out there for this vintage racing do you did they upgrade like the fire suppression systems are you able to run no. modern tires or nope just like it was <laughs> that's the just, that's the just beauty like of it. it was almost a well, leather helmet huh pretty much well you know that stuff's required you know, you want to use a Lexan helmet and and a fireproof suit, a three-layer. In fact, they didn't have those back then. And um, a lot of people have kind of championed a, um, safety on some of the, the older uh, vintage cars. But uh, they, don't, they don't let you alter the cars at all. They don't, which kind of gets into, you know, what people do these days with, you know, fixing up older classic cars. Um, 
in vintage car racing, you can't do any of that. It's got to be original. And um, the safety measures are go slower. You know, these cars are exactly like Mario Andretti drove um, all of the big, big race drivers of that era. Uh, They haven't changed a bit, but putting those cars in the hands of people like me um, who don't, who aren't the best drivers in the world uh, can be quite dangerous. We just uh, lost somebody in our, our F5000 group, which is only about 30 guys um over at Mossport I guess last summer so it's a, it's a it's a dangerous um hobby hobby I guess yes. yeah uh, how were the so brakes on that thing you know this is 1974 technology do they seem pretty good or are they kind of lacking brakes brakes are good um it's we still run the same uh brake calipers and everything um Lockheed uh, was the manufacturer of our brakes. So a lot of people come by and they look at the cars and they said, well, you know, these are serious brakes if Lockheed <laughs> is making them. So, uh, you, you don't go to pet boys or, you know, AutoZone and pick up brakes for these cars. No, I get and yeah. it's very, very important, um, that you take all the precautions, uh, in maintaining brake systems, you want to rebuild the calipers often. You know, everything, it takes great attention to keep these cars um, up and running and safe on the track because of the capabilities of the car itself. Do you wrench on it, or do you do you have people or um, family, friends? So I or? have a... No. I, I'm smart enough to know if I don't know what I'm doing, uh, have somebody else do it. And in these cars... You know, lately, um, or for a long time, I hire a driver. It, it may be an indie car driver or something. Um, and you owe it to that person to have an engineer for the chassis, an engineer for, for the engine. And, uh, you know, the pit crew, they, they could be trained. So they use all kinds of neat lasers and scales and all kinds of equipment to make sure that car is it, it is not going to fail in any way. Five thousand a day. The, I five, get it. Five grand a day. You <laughs> wow. got it. Yeah. Hey, Todd. Yeah, I was going to hotel rooms and everything else. I was going to take a step back here just a little bit, and that is, um, we we mentioned the Sacramento Bee earlier, and uh, we also know that. Uh, you're either 59 or 60 because my wife's 59 and she's about to be 60. And you guys graduated from the same high school, Sac High. And mm-hmm. when I was, uh, you know, 30 years ago, when I was in my 30s, um, I went on an assignment and it was the first time I'd ever covered motorsports at any great length. And I went to the IndyCar race. I think it was the uh, Cart 300 at Laguna Seca. And they brought in three guys you mentioned. Um, well, Danny Sullivan, uh, Little Al, and Bobby Rahal, maybe. And mm-hmm. I didn't know any better, so I asked those guys if, if what they did, if they considered it a sport. And, you know, they, they were all very kind, and they explained to me that, yes, it's a sport. And one of them said, um, you know, you try doing something uh, where there's no timeouts and there's no halftime and there's no rest for, you know, three, four hours, whatever it is. So... I guess that what that leads into at 60 years old or 59 years old, 
Um, do you consider it a sport, and how taxing is it f- to to do these races as a guy who's, you know, uh, not twenty five anymore? Uh, surprising, very surprising. You uh, you get in one of these cars, and again, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a driver. You know, I, you know, I went through school like everybody else, and, and drove a few races, but. Um, it it's a lot like uh kind of like a cardio class where you're in there for an hour and our races are only half an hour but these guys they were they're in there over an hour and you shift um no less than a couple hundred times not to mention uh the strength you have to have uh to turn that car these don't have power steering they're not stock cars. Uh, there's no power brakes. Um, use techniques uh, for your footwork. It's a lot, almost like dancing, you know, because everything's kind of uh, your movements are all in a pattern, right? And you're you're laser focused. You know, I always tell people, you know, when I'm here at the track and I'm in the car, I I think of nothing else nothing and that's what it's like to be in one of these cars because you know you're not afraid um but what's going on around you and on the track and with people around you it takes all your all your concentration and focus and if you're not there then don't don't even go out there right yes because that's the only thing that's if you miss a turn because these cars you know, quite frankly, they're very fast. You'll get six feet of drift on a turn. So if you don't if you don't account for that, then you're going to be six feet to the outside. Well, the track's only so wide, so that puts you into the wall. So, um, yeah, it's a. I don't know of any other sport that, and I've played a few, that requires that kind of concentration. You know, you maybe even golf is quite like that. You know, you don't have a timeout where you got to walk up to your ball or anything like that. But this is going on real time for, you know, an hour or so, hour and a half. Yes. So this couldn't you couldn't ever meet a, a nicer group of guys, you know, because out of the cars, you know, you, you got egos out there for sure. And you got to because you, you don't want to think back and, you know, having imagine what it's like to for anything bad to happen if you know what i mean and so um a lot of the guys you know they they build themselves up or you know it's it's that kind of mentality and um but in the vintage world it's 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 really for the most part a lot of guys just want go want to go out there and have some fun and and people get to kind of admire what and see what the, you know what took place during that era you know in in car racing history yes yeah you got to respect so, your other drivers i mean you don't want to be that guy and mess up your own car plus his car and gets expensive well, there's and, guys like that out there <laughs> there are a few of those guys so, okay uh yeah they try and discourage them um but once once that green flag goes um you know, I've seen guys get disqualified for aggressive driving, and um, 
you know, it, it really doesn't belong. This vintage car racing to me really isn't a sport. It's, it's more of an exhibition. And for some, and, and I'm not, we're talking about one out of maybe one guy. <clears throat> it's a sport. And it, it really shouldn't be just because of, you know, we get older, we are really cautious, you know, that you may have a young, younger guy coming up and, you know, um, you, you want to get some notoriety or anything. These are pretty big races yes. uh, that we've done. So world worldwide. You mentioned um, with your father and stepfather, the longtime interest in uh, cars and it might be a good time for you to tell us you you basically have a museum of cars a one man's museum so just take us through uh todd the list of cars that you have um oh you sure were, you were, um, we were talking on the phone a little bit about how you acquired some of these cars you had a you've had a celebrity car or two so take us through your yeah. uh, your vast collection if you would um well humbly um, you know, my, my take on the cars is, or my philosophy is just to preserve a car so that future generations can, can enjoy it. I mean, a kit, you're a caretaker for a piece of history. And for most people that, you know, they, they, cars are cars, but you know, if you drive on any street in Sacramento, you see, maybe that guy's got this car he's been fixing up for 20 years. And, the, and those are the folks that I really kind of want to speak to um, because that is, you know, to me, that is really something special um, because they want to preserve something for maybe they're going to give it to their kid, maybe their, their grandkid or, you know, or something like that. And to kind of preserve the interest of, you know, the classic cars that are out there. And it doesn't really matter what it is. Um, <clears throat> so that's been my take on uh, me collecting cars. You know, sure, they have meaning, but it started out, my stepfather has a 9, 912 and a 911 Porsche. He's had them forever, and he works on them all the time, and I said, oh, I got to get one of these. So I found one on the side of the road for 2000 bucks. I paid, and I fixed it all up, and uh, that was my first. So then... Um, when I was very young, I hit 21 or I saw Lotus Esprit and I sat, the salesman had to pry me out of the car, you know, because I thought it was the neatest thing in the world. And so when I saw that, I just happened to car out there in Sacramento and I bought that one and I paid almost, you know, nothing for it, but it needed a lot of work. And that's an opportunity to, to learn how to, you know, what makes these cars so great are, you know, the engineering aspects. And that's really what interests me. And that's what may interest your, your uh, listeners here. Yeah. So, the, uh, um, engineering is, is great on that Lotus Esprit. And as well as I think you have a 308, you're probably going to get to it. That's engineering and, yeah, and that beauty. One, yeah. That I got, you know, I'm like everybody else, you know, it, I'm on the web. This was 20 years ago, but um, I see one for sale in Hollywood. And so I called the guy. I said, done deal. I'm, I'm flying out tomorrow. And I didn't know whose car it was. Or, um, but anyway, I showed up at a record studio 
and um, there's uh, David Lee Roth, and he's uh, he's wants to get rid of his car real bad, and so I said, you know, I I won't tell you what I paid for it, but it's one of those stories where uh, he just wanted to get rid of the car as soon as possible, and uh, he had bought a car for his girlfriend, and apparently they they broke up for some some reason. And I said, if you really feel bad, you're not charging much money for this, and you sure you're good with this? And, you know, then the profanity started, and uh, I said, well, you know what? Hey, uh, here's your check. I'll see you later. So I ended up just driving the car back. Is that worth extra so, money but, now? Do you have, uh, you know, I don't know, a signature on the dash no, or something? You or? Know, a lot of guys do that now. They'll sign the dash. And um, I never really even thought about it. But, but he was he was not a very happy guy that day. Okay. You know, I, I, I think he just, you know, it, if you can buy a Ferrari for what I paid for it, you know, that's a pretty good deal. Yes. So... It wasn't a money thing. It was just, you know, I know you have a, a clean show here, but otherwise I'd tell you exactly what he said. It's okay. Okay. So, <laughs> now, so, but, but that that car, you know, it's, um, it's a beautiful car, and I have one of the best Ferrari mechanics, uh, it, the best in my opinion, here in Sacramento, and he works on the car. It's uh, Corfi's Automotive or Corfi car care. And he does works pretty exclusively on Ferraris. So, um, it's always interesting to go to his shop and I've learned a great deal watching them work and, um, have incorporated, you know, the tools that they use in the, into all the work I do on my cars. So it's, it's, it's very interesting and it's a great pleasure to work on cars, uh, classic cars like these. Todd, back to uh, Ross' uh, former car. There is it standard colors. I mean, is it red with a tan interior? Or did, was it a special order crazy or something? No, no. Yeah, you know, you'd think. Um, no, back in those days, um, it's all original. It's all black, black paint uh, on the outside, and it's, it's a single stage, which uh, you know back. No, I don't know anybody does single stage painting these days. Uh, they might, but you know, that's no clear coat. I mean, everything's in just, um, a single covering of the car. Sure. So I don't, I don't paint cars, but I know I get some pretty good deals out there. And it, I'll say this about restoring cars. Cause I have a few more. Um, that's the first thing you want to do. I know we can't all do everything. And but search out, you know, for the best deals, like for upholstery. Um, I, I go through a, a person for that. He's the best, but, but he hardly charges anything. And motors, you know, go, you know, it's not like you want to skimp on this, but you, it's very important that you go to the right people when you're storing one of these cars. Good tips. So, yeah. yeah. We um, would be uh, remiss if we hadn't talked to you. I know that from what we've discussed on the telephone and uh, what we, the little we know of each other, you're a pretty humble guy and you don't like putting yourself in the spotlight. But one of the great things you did in which um, 
the media found out about it, and you had some articles written about it, uh, was when you hired, when you uh, brought on some guys who were homeless to help you uh, change tires and do a variety of other things on your car or cars. And could you mm-hmm. retell that story and, and when it was and, and how meaningful that was for you? Uh, absolutely. I, th- I think this really touches upon what I like most about any sport is the, uh, really the camaraderie. But if, if we have an opportunity to do something, um, and this has to do with the race car, it, it really, I never felt like it was my car. It, it really belonged to the people that worked on it back in the day, but then, and I brought those folks and they were able to share the dreams of winning a big race. Um, and, but that wasn't, I needed, I do a lot of work in the homeless community and, if I can fit people getting them off the streets or providing monies for local charities, then, you know, I'm all for it. So we, we ended up winning a race one weekend. And I remember I, I grabbed some of the homeless friends that I had met on the streets and then I decked them out in the pit uniforms. And then I, you know, obviously gave them a ride to the racetrack and um showed them how to change tires fuel the car um so we all got together and you had your engineers too um and we ended up winning the race but that's a big dollar sport and i think i'm probably the poorest one of them all the poorest team uh where so you know, you made it known to a few people that, you know, hey, you know, we, we got some guys in our pit crew. They love, you know, if you need anything, you know, they're happy to help. And so we're got out and we end up winning the race. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And you're talking about multimillionaires and, you know, they're clapping and, you know, they're so proud. Not of, had nothing to do with me, but a lot to do with you know, I almost cheer up now with, with the gentleman that you just gave him a chance and for two days or three days, the length of the race. I mean, wow, what a, you know, they're so full of confidence and people treated them great, you know, and you know, if it could be like that every day. Um, what a, what a great world this would be. That's right. Wow, so, that sounds like a heck of a story. What was their take on it? Were they, they were super appreciative, and like you say, it gave them self-esteem? Yeah, you know, we're lifelong friends, and so all these folks, they're off the streets now. That was just kind of part of, you know, the relationship that really helped them the most is, you know, after the race, we brought it back to Lowe's and Fishes, who was a sponsor of the car, and presented a, a few thousand dollars to that that charity. And then we started the car and everything. And people actually out that are still on the streets, if I see them, they'll, they'll, you're that guy. You know, you brought your race car out, and not that you were trying to, but, you know, I'm kind of a low-key guy. But um, it it really meant a lot to that community and, and 
not just those other, not just those, the people that worked on the pit crew. So great story. um, Thanks for sharing that. That's yeah, that's really something special. And and we'll do it again. That's great. No doubt about it. Fantastic. With with the uh, yeah. with, with the cars that you own, and this is going to be a little bit lighthearted here from my perspective. Do you ever um, you're out on the highway somewhere on a city street? You're out in the country, and a car goes by, and you think, "Well, I've got how many cars do I have?" But I just saw another car that I'd really like to have someday. Do you have some um, some cars out there that you'd like to own that maybe uh, you have to think about? Well, it, or it, go ahead. A few years ago. I saw a Pantera. Yes. And uh, I thought, you know, I always wanted one of those. So I got to work and I, you know, I worked the phones and sure enough, I, I found one right here in Sacramento and um, befriended the person that he didn't really want to sell it, but we talked and, you know, and I, I think, you know, let's say, you know, you make, you built a little relationship there and he was, Although he wasn't driving the car much, he decided, you know, Todd's a good guy. I'll sell it to him. And so I've taken that car and, uh, and I'm right in the middle of a restoration on that. The interior is done. The the body, the body paint's done. Um, motor machine is redoing a, the 351 Cleveland that it's got with a, um, supercharger it's got the period correct uh supercharger from 1971 with 30 of these cars they installed a magnet charger and um so because it's period correct and everything um i'll leave the magnet charger on there and um that car is sitting you know in the back where i work on my cars in the garage and um, man, what a beautiful car. They are beautiful. That's for sure. The fact there's, that there's one aspect to that car. So a buddy of mine, I, I, I walked up to him and I said, you know, I just bought a Pantera and he goes, Oh man, that's my dream. I always wanted one of those cars. And I said, you know what? Why don't we do this? If that is really honest about that, we'll go in house. Okay. And this, this kind of approach hardly ever works, but, but it can. So if you have listeners are thinking about, you know, I really want to get work on a car, but I can't do it all. But maybe my buddy, he likes this car too. And if we pool our resources together, then we can both kind of share our dream, you know, um, and both benefit from this. So, you know, for me, I've got, six classic cars, you know, I'm just one guy, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm stealing an opportunity from some other car enthusiast out there that, man, they really like the, the, uh, a 72 Cuda or the Pantera or Porsche or Ferrari. You know, I, I feel like I'm kind of hoarding dreams. So, but sometimes, you know, you can think kind of outside the box on these and end up sharing a dream with somebody else and then you could both get the opportunities to kind of work on the cars or share knowledge and, and make it a community project. Gotcha. So I know that's outside the box. Well, you're a, you're a caretaker. You're a caretaker. That's right. So when I get to see them, you're sharing the dream with me, but I don't have ownership, but (laughs) you're still sharing. 
Yeah. That's One thing I I'm a little different than most guys. I don't I don't go to car shows. Um, I I do like going to the vintage car races. Um, but I have no no problem with getting a car into like a charity event or something that just for people to see. Um, I don't normally drive them on the streets. Very rare. Um, not that I don't enjoy driving them. It's just um, I. I don't know. It's just uh, working on them is too much fun. Gotcha. I see. So, well, that um, working on them is too much fun. That's probably the the perfect way to uh, summarize our very very too brief, much too brief uh, half hour with you. And um, mm-hmm. we want to thanks thank you for being our guest. Um, we've never met. Uh, we may have met in the sports department of the B a hundred years ago or so, but I, we haven't met since then, but yeah. maybe one of these days we'll, uh, the three of us will have coffee or something. I know you're a busy guy and, but we'd like, love to talk with you more and take a look at some of the cars someday. Sure. It'd be great. And, and, um, Todd, uh, thanks. Thanks for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you. Todd well, thank Reiners you. for being our sure. guest today on the weekly I, driver I would like podcast. To say one thing, please would like to say one thing sure just you know hats off to all the guys out there that share the same passion with classic cars and working on them and i know it's you know it 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 takes a lifetime sometimes but um i i drive down my street or any street and i see the guy that's got it out there and he's so proud and or even the guy that's you know has that dream and all i want to say is you know stick with it and you know, we always have time to work on these things, and and I I just want to say thanks for them because every time I see that, I just have a big smile and a and a thumb my thumb goes up to them. Yes, well, so, that's a great great nice. statement. So, and and uh, we, I didn't know about the uh, I remember reading about you years ago, but I had forgotten. So, what you've told us today about um, the loaves and fishes um, involvement just you know, um, fantastic and, and good for you and good for them. It sounds like a, a, a wonderful thing you did. So thanks again for being our guest, and we'll be in touch. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, cheers. Bye-bye. Have a great day.